0: Oh, amazing stuff, isn't it? I got to visit with them a little bit more yesterday about some of the things that uh, God had them doing and be a part of. You know, as I was uh, uh, thinking about this series, amazing, and, you know, that's, that's a word we toss around a lot and, and sometimes about technology. You know, it's, it's, we, we live in a world where we not only talk on our phones, we talk to them. Isn't that weird? You know, I asked Siri the other day, who's going to win the national championship football game? She says Alabama by a touchdown, you know. That's amazing. Maybe she may. We'll see if she's right. Uh, Here's a new product that I saw just released the other day, a prototype. You can see these are Crocs with three-inch lifts, and they have built-in vacuum cleaners. You don't even have to power them because they run on the power when you walk, and they've got a little suction action, so you can put them on your kids. Instead of having them track in dirt, they'll be picking it up. Isn't that amazing? On Christmas Eve, um, Ann Turner's mom, Barb Greer, who we've met a few, few, t- come a few times here, uh, was talking to you. She said, oh, I see you've got a series in January called Amazing coming up. She said, I want to tell you about my cat. My cat is named Amazing. So here's a picture of Barb Greer's cat named Amazing. Everybody wishes they had such an amazing cat. Although I hear she's not very nice. So anyway, never mind. Uh, Today we start this Four Sunday series, uh, which is not about cats, fortunately. (laughs) It's about grace. Uh, And if at the end of, uh, after January 29th, you want to say, wow, that was an amazing series, then you'd be exactly right. And it's all about grace. Now, what is grace? What is grace? The simplest definition I know is this. Grace is being treated better than I deserve. Grace. Being treated better than I deserve. Grace is the prodigal son returning home after squandering his father's inheritance and begging to be treated as a slave. Instead, his father wraps his arms around him, hugs him, treats him like a son, puts a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet, takes him into the house and throws a big party for him. Grace is being treated better than I deserve. I have a friend who went through a really hard time and out of anger at his wife and feeling sorry for himself one day he went to bed with another woman he deserved to be divorced he deserved to never get another chance but she gave him another chance. Today they are happily married. They've got beautiful kids. Grace is being treated better than I deserve. We have a theme verse for this series. It's Romans 6, 23. Uh, It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know that one? It's a great verse to memorize. Let's try it. Let's say it together. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In in the word, now the the word grace isn't there, but in the Greek, the words gifts and gift and grace are, they come from the same root. And uh, in many cases, they can be used almost interchangeably, such as in this passage right here. Wages It's about what we deserve, right? You earned it. What we deserve from our sin is death. We deserve to be separated from God. We deserve to live in the hell of our own making. But by grace, we are treated much better than we deserve. Through faith in Jesus, we receive the gift of life. I want you to know this. You will not experience grace until you realize how badly you need it. You will not experience grace until you realize how badly you need it. Um, There are all kinds of sinners. Uh, I know a friend who said he's broken all the Ten Commandments except one, but he didn't tell me which one. But you know, the sinners that Jesus had the, the harshest words for were religious people who thought they were doing just fine. They refused to see the, that, their, uh, that the root of their sin ran just as deeply as anybody else's sin you know, when we lived in Gothenburg, Nebraska, um, we had a yucca plant beside our house. Does anybody know what a yucca plant is? Those big spiny things? Yeah. And we decided that 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 yucca plant was yucky. And we decided to try to get rid of it. So I got out my spade, and I started digging. And uh, of course, there's a a yucca plant is a very hardy, dry weather plant, and the tap root goes very deep. So I kept digging and digging. I never did get to the bottom of it, but I thought, well, maybe that's good enough. Next year, psh, that yucca plant pops right back up. Um, and the root of sin runs deeply in me. I'm selfish. I'm self-absorbed. I deal with greed and lust and pride. In an unhealthy way, I often desire to be admired. Sometimes I want to punish people out of spite. The root of sin runs deep. And when I'm left to my own deep-rooted sin, I live in a hell of my own making. And that's where I would stay, except for the grace of God. Some of you remember last year when I interviewed Sandy Smith. um, And she told how, you know, she went to this church for decades and for years she thought that she was, hey, she was pretty good, you know, pretty good person, Good Christian did things right didn't do bad stuff one evening she was at a Christian retreat and uh, listened to a fuller explanation of the Ten Commandments and suddenly just hit her like a load of bricks I am such a sinner It, it was a moment of honesty clarity and honesty and you will never grasp grace until you come to that moment of honesty, I am such a sinner. And that's when Sandy realized she needed a Savior. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Um, if you brought your Bible, great. If not, you'll find it in the Pew Bible on page 1050. Uh, and uh, while you're looking that up, I want to give you a little quick Bible geography uh, lesson. Uh, Jesus it lives in Galilee. It's a region in the north part of that Bible territory. The, the Sea of Galilee is right here. And he's heading now to Jerusalem, which is in Judea in the south. And in between is Samaria Uh, now the people that live there the Samaritans they were of they were people of mixed ancestry and mixed beliefs too Uh, and because of that they weren't allowed to worship at the temple in Jerusalem with the Jews and of course they didn't really want to anyway well one day Jesus is going from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem down in the south And as he's walking, he comes to the border of Galilee and Samaria. So, now in those days, if you had a contagious skin disease such as leprosy, uh, then you were not allowed to mingle with the uninfected. You were quarantined uh, with the other people who had leprosy in a little shanty area outside of town. Your, Your relatives might come and leave food for you, but they... You could never really have contact with them. You could never go home. Um, So they they live separated lives. Uh, And then Jesus and his friends, they they approach this village. And as they do, a group of men uh, approach him. uh, But of course, they they keep their distance. They know who he is. They they probably heard that he was coming. And when they see him, they shout, Jesus, Master, Master have pity on us and Jesus yells back he says go show yourselves to the priests seems odd doesn't it but you see that's what you did uh, if your skin cleared up and you were well uh, the priest had to examine you and verify that you no longer had this infection so that you could re-enter society so these ten men, they, they do just what Jesus said to do. They, they rush off to the local priests. And on the way, they look at their hands and their feet. And they see that, that their skin is clear. And, and they look at each other's faces and, and, and see that the, the scaly lumps and bumps on their faces are gone. And I can just imagine them laughing, you know. Giddy with joy as they they into town, you know they're thinking, "Wow, by dinner time, I'm going to be back with my family. I'm going to be able to get a job and earn a living again. I'm going to be able to watch my kids and go to their weddings." And for nine of them, that was it. It was their lucky day. Life finally sent them a good turn. But one of them stops and turns around. Before going to town, there's something he has to do. And I can just hear him as, as he's, he's shouting, he said, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Which in Hebrew means praise the Lord. So, okay, if you're with me in Luke chapter 17, let's look at verse 16. This man, it says, He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. You see, Jesus is a Savior not just for the Jews, but for the Samaritans and for all people. Ten were healed. It was an act of grace, and it wasn't based on who deserved it, right? I mean, there were ten of them. Some of them might have been scoundrels. Some of them might have been saintly, but Jesus gave that gift to them all, whether they deserved it or not. Ten were healed. They all received the same gift. And that's the way it is with God's grace. There is a measure of grace that is given to all people. Every person on the planet receives some grace from God. In Christian, some Christian traditions, we call this common grace because we all receive it. Jesus said that the gifts of sun and rain... Come to all people, the good and the bad. It's common grace. We live in a world where sinful uh, sinful impulses are restrained through laws and law enforcement. Makes a better world for us, doesn't it? That's common grace. You have a conscience. You may or may not follow it very well, but you have one. And the fact that you have one is a gift of God. It is common grace. But God's grace goes beyond that. Um, to illustrate, I, uh, I know a, a couple, friends of ours, and uh, how they got together is that they met in college, and she was really uh, impressed with him so she started hanging out on campus in the places that he knew he would be walking by after class and kind of like oh surprise meeting you here you know and at first he thought maybe this was just coincidence but she was pursuing him in a gentle way but she was pursuing him and they joke now about how she stalked him (laughs) But that's how their relationship began. And that's kind of what God does. He pursues us, gently, but persistently. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, uh, talked a lot about how God pursues us. He called it prevenient grace. Now, that's a $5 word, isn't it? Prevenient. Uh, But it simply means... And they used it back in those days, preceding, that which goes before. So it's the grace preceding our conversion to Christ. because It's grace because God reaches out to us before we reach out to him. But even then, we don't always respond, do we? God reaches out to us and calls us, and sometimes we're just not listening or we don't want to answer, or we're kind of, you know, wrapped up into ourselves, we're addicted to our sinful impulses, we're controlled by selfish desires, we don't want to let go. So here's what God does, and this is really the good news message for today. Put it up on the screen. God's prevenient grace pursues me and empowers me to respond. Let's say that together, shall we? God's prevenient grace pursues me and empowers me to respond, gives me the opportunity and the ability to respond. I hope you'll write that down, take that home, maybe talk about it in your group this week if you're in that. Um, I remember a guy named Chuck. Uh, He was not a believer, considered himself agnostic, And uh, one night he was on a ship, on a Navy ship out in the middle of the ocean and he looked up at the sky and you just could see the brilliance of the Milky Way, like probably I've never seen it. More stars than he could even begin to count. And at that moment he thought, there must be a God who made all of this. There must be a God who's got a plan. And maybe at that point, Chuck could have done something with it, but he didn't. He just sort of brushed it aside. Decades later, Chuck found himself in jail for a high-profile white-collar crime. Uh, It was big news. His name and face were all over the place. Friends came to see him in jail, and he saw in them a love that he didn't know how to explain. But he knew he needed what they had. You see, God was pursuing him. And at that moment gave him the the opportunity. God empowered him to respond. When John Wesley talked about this, he liked to quote John uh, 1 verse 9, which says, The true light that gives light to everyone. Was coming into the world. And he really focused on that word, everyone. The light light shines on everyone. God sends grace to everyone. God pursues you, he empowers you. But the choice is still yours. You know, I grew up going to church. Um, Sunday school, worship, vacation Bible school, Christmas programs, confirmation. But when I turned 15, all of a sudden, I, as some of you know, I didn't know whether I believed in God or not. Who knows? And I was frustrated, uh, bitter, cynical, sarcastic, but I did a lot of thinking, a lot of searching. I look back now and I wonder that maybe God was there even in my doubts kind of like I was this little kid that had marched off but God was still sneaking around the corner keep his eye on me maybe maybe asking those hard questions was just what I needed maybe I needed to seriously doubt before I could seriously believe so while I was drifting God was pursuing Let me tell you about John John was born in London in 1725 his father was a sea captain his mother died of tuberculosis shortly before John turned seven he spent the next two years in boarding school and then the next two years with his new stepmother and then at age 11 he went out to sea with his father when he was 17 His father retired uh, from sailing and John signed on to a merchant ship. Uh, Now, some of you know the phrase, uh, swear like a sailor, right? Somebody swears like a sailor. Well, John, let me tell you, earned that reputation. He was so good at profanity, he even invented new words to shock and, and offend even the other sailors. The next year he was captured and drafted into the Royal Navy, but he tried to desert ship. And as punishment, he was given eight dozen lashes in front of the entire 350-member crew. And after that, he was so angry and bitter, he began to make plans to murder the captain and then kill himself by jumping off the ship at sea. Instead, he boarded a slave ship and worked in the slave trade. But as he was doing that, uh, he was kind of double-crossed, and he ended up a slave in West Africa. A few years later, a friend of his father's uh, rescued John, and they sailed back to England. And while they were uh, on that voyage, a severe storm hit. John woke up in the middle of the night, and water was pouring into the ship, uh, and he, he, he feared for his life. He cried out to God to save him. Interestingly, as the ship was tossing and turning in the storm, the cargo in the ship shifted and plugged the hole. And the ship's crew and John were saved. And that day, something shifted inside of him. God suddenly had his attention. And so for the rest of the voyage, he he began reading the Bible. And he decided to quit swearing and drinking and gambling. But he was not yet truly converted to Christ. He was thankful to be alive. He was spiritually curious. He tried to be a better person. And you know, I think that's where a lot of church people are today. Like John, they're thankful, they're they're spiritually curious, they try to be a better person, but they stop short of salvation. Still in his early 20s, John joined another slave ship, and while he was back in West Africa, he came down with a high fever. And it was during this time that he put his full faith in Jesus. And he asked God to take control of his life. And he felt a peace with God that he had never experienced before. Now, it doesn't mean John's life was all better yet. He, uh, he made three more voyages as a slave ship captain. And then at age 29, he suffered a severe stroke so he had to give up he gave up the sea life he he took found another job that he could take and he began learning greek and hebrew so he could better study the bible john became a popular lay preacher and eventually then some years later was ordained a priest in the church of england and this former swearing sailor often composed poems to go with his sermons which was kind of common back then that that pastors would write hymn lyrics or poems to go with their messages and on New Year's Day 1773 he shared this poem with his congregation it was kind of like his personal testimony in verse here's the first stanza amazing grace how sweet the sound That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. John Newton felt like the worst sinner in the world, but God pursued him, even him, and empowered him, gave him the opportunity. That's prevenient grace. This morning I want to teach you a prayer that I think God has been forming in me over the last few years. Um, It has helped me to respond to that grace in my life. It's printed on a large card inside your bulletin. It looks just like what you see up here, although those letters are probably too small to read. Uh, But anyway, I invite you to pray this prayer every day this month, would you? just as a way of opening yourself to what God is doing in your life. And if you, maybe you're, you're in one of our faith walk groups, then every time you get together, pray this together. Maybe your family gathers around the table, pray this together. And you can see at the top, the prayer begins, Jesus, today I am, and then we'll go down the, the left column, and then we'll go to the, to the right column. And on the back, if you'll just flip it over for a minute, you can see that there are seven sets of scriptures. So to kind of help further define this prayer, and uh, you, you could maybe take one set each day of the week and read those scriptures over to better understand what this prayer is about. So if you'll flip back over to the side with the image and the prayer, um, I'm going to ask us to all join together as we pray. Okay, let's, let's begin. Jesus... Today I am lost without you, desperate for you, amazed by you, counting on you, mourning with you, rejoicing in you, surrendered to you. Amen. And Lord, you know that sometimes we go stomping off thinking we know best or we're mad because things didn't go our way. Or we're hurt. Oh Lord, thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for continuing to watch over us, to listen to us, to speak to us, to pursue us. Lord, there's a lot we don't understand about life, about the circumstances and the troubles that that we face. But Lord, you are good. Lord, sometimes we stop short. We, we get interested in you. We have some curiosity. We try to clean our lives up a little bit. But we stop short of the salvation that you offer. But Lord, here you are again, giving us the opportunity to respond, to say yes, to open that door. And so, Lord, we are here. We are yours We are lost without you, desperate for you, amazed by you, counting on you, mourning with you, rejoicing in you, surrendered to you. In your name we pray, amen.